Welcome to Lease FM. Today's guest, Ben Montalbano from Mateus, Chicago homegrown chamber folk band from both Chicago and St. Paul. And the band began when composer Ben Montalbano enlisted his close friends to collaborate on a few simple yet deeply personal folk songs. As these songs blossomed into fully realized and orchestrated compositions, the result was a sound that embraces the colors of contemporary chamber music with the emotional and structural bedrock of folk and roots music. These first songs and collaborations would eventually culminate in the recording of their first EP, Effigy. Welcome to the show, Ben. How did that sound? That sounded great. Got it all. And <laughs> yeah. You wrote it, right? So. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Props <sounds> to you. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. And Thanks for having me. For being my first ever guest. It's Ooh. like pretty exciting. I'm um, excited. Yeah. We're like forming what this show's going to sound like. So no pressure. No pressure. Um, I'll, I'll try not to worry too much. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, before we get into mm-hmm. the influences, just give me a little you know, bio. How long has Mateus been a thing? Was it a lot in your mind before it actually came to fruition? Tell me about your origin. Yeah, well, I mean, it's honestly just like the culmination of what we do and the kind of the songs we're doing and the the arrangement and the genre we're kind of occupying. It's been an idea in my head and I just haven't been been able to execute it since, I don't know, like maybe 2013, 2012. Uh, I just didn't really maybe have like the creative juices behind it but it's been floating around there um but the group actually came together like our first performance was i think in march of 2016 at shuba's and uh that actual performance and kind of the formation of the actual band was a pretty lightning fast thing um i just left another band and i was had all these friends together and so like i think it was like january 2016 i just forced myself to demo a bunch of tunes, send them out to my friends, and uh, it culminated in a performance. And actually, the the first recordings for uh, this entire EP, we all recorded that same weekend uh, of our first show. So uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of how, how we started. Awesome. I was actually at that show. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah, now that you're know. recalling that, I was like, yeah. oh yeah, I was there and it was pretty magical because ah, it was like you just rehearsed a couple days yeah. in advance, right? Because uh, everybody's kind of living. That day, wow. So our drummer, as you mentioned, because uh, we're from Chicago and St. Paul, the majority of us are from Chicago, but our drummer, um, he lives in St. Paul. He smiles so much he when smiles. he drums. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah, Lars is, Lars is an incredible person, a great drummer, uh, really just a great artistic and musical mind. So there's a reason. I mean, you can find a good drummer in Chicago. There are lots of them. But Lars is such a, a close friend and really brilliant. Um, so there's a reason why we kind of, uh, uh, you know, tie our hands behind our back by having him in St. Paul. Um, but, yeah, so because he's in St. Paul and also there are like eight to nine musicians that play with this. Uh, I think at that show we had nine. Um, there's just so much scheduling. So the only time we could really do it was like essentially a dress rehearsal. Um, some of us had gotten together and practice in different like smaller formulations, uh, formations. And um, but then we like tracked uh, the EP on Friday, I believe, and the show was on Saturday. So we did four songs together with the core group of guys. 
and then Saturday we had like a dress rehearsal with the horn, with the horn players, and then we did the show. So <laughs> it was Epic. crazy. That's yeah. so cool. It was fun. It was it was a nice. It it culminated in a, a really nice uh, evening, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so let's talk about the mm-hmm. name and get into, yeah. you know, who musicians or what songs have really guided you to this particular mm-hmm. group, this particular writing style. Um, so tell me first about where you found the name Mateus. So um, I'm a classical musician, um, and like, the so Mateus specifically comes from uh the saint matthew passion Matthias just means Ger- uh matthew in german it doesn't mean matthew it is Ma- it's the name matthew in german um uh but the saint matthew passion is a beautiful piece by bach and i performed it actually at u of i craner center and it was just like an incredible i don't know like a really magical surreal uh performance for me and it's kind of something that always stuck stuck with me and uh there's a specific piece of that entire passion which has like a lot of emotional and narrative weight within the piece itself um and that's just always stuck with me and just kind of resonated and is like kind of my uh my compass my true north for whenever i'm trying to figure out where i'm at and that's what i listen to a lot and i always go back to that that piece awesome um what musical part did you play in the in the piece i just sang and in that per- in that particular piece it's a, a i think it's a tenor uh wretched steve so a tenor song uh i just i didn't do anything during that because i was just a member of the chorus i was not i was not good enough to like be in the orchestra or like one of the soloists so i just remember being like oh my god this is incredible and i'd never really done any research you know i was just in rehearsals preparing for it and like in the performance i'm like wow this is Incredible. Yeah, that, there's nothing like that. I was in um, a choir and we did Carmina mm. Burana, mm-hmm. and it was the same thing. There were like you know 130 musicians on stage, and when it we only had like two chances yeah. to you know rehearse it uh-huh. with the whole orchestra, and it was just like okay, yeah, this yeah. is what it's about. And it's like it's a moment too. Yeah. You're like oh, this is, uh, and I think they only did one performance because it's pretty typical to do those passions on Easter because you know. It's, Jesus dying and blah blah blah, um, <laughs> all that yeah, all that all that stuff. Um, but it's like a one-time thing, and I and I, I even think it's like a four-hour thing. So we did the first half, and you take an intermission, Have and you come lunch. back and do this the second half. Yeah, wow. it's crazy. It's it's crazy. That is crazy. And just like uh, what's still blows my mind about classical music, and in particular Bach, and even older music, is that like his stuff still like resonates and makes sense in particular like this piece i think yeah still makes sense they're still speaking in the same like musical terms which is pretty crazy very cool okay well let's hear a little bit of that and that the piece is called the dich mein herz rein which means make my heart pure perfect don't ask me to say that <laughs> <laughs> all right here it is that yeah it's very good. i don't know it's very um 
legato is that a yeah yeah it's very pure <laughs> and um this recording in particular they're all they're all using baroque instruments uh, wow. so there's just a really unique um timbre and quality to it um and yeah the basically what's what makes this song so cool or this little piece of the four hour long saint matthew passion is that uh if my understand if i understand this correctly i mean uh fact check me um but this text was written because all passions are most of the text is lifted directly from the bible and this was kind of uh he had bach had someone else write the text and it's just about like being a pure person so it's it's just very it's very it's very interesting it comes right before the very end that he decided to all of a sudden like put this one text that doesn't belong in the bible and so it's wow. very very interesting kind of like sticking it to the man there. kind of kind of i don't know i i've i've wondered that uh, like if that's there, but he was also like a crazy devote uh, Lutheran. Right. So I don't know. But but for me, it kind of justifies it because I'm I mean, I grew up very or not very religious. I grew up Catholic, but mm-hmm. I'm, I definitely am not religious now. So, right. yeah, um, there's a Mike or yeah, Mike Birbiglia, the comedian, <laughs> yeah. a joke. I think it's him. And it's like you can always tell somebody went to Catholic school because they're an atheist. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, pretty that's, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about since you brought up lyrics. Um, mm-hmm. it, did you study these lyrics extensively in the English translation or do you speak German? No, well, I study a little bit of German. I think it's required of like most music students. But actually, I mean, they're I think they're and it's c- common for a lot of this classical uh, music, these songs, they repeat the same words over and over and over again. So he just says, Makadich mein Herz Rhein, pretty much the entire time. So you don't have to do too much uh, digging. I think it's basically like equivalent equivalent to like two sentences, like oh, make okay. my heart pure, pretty much is all that he says. Okay, so talking about the size of your band, uh-huh. it's bigger than most you know, yeah. indie folk rock bands mm-hmm. are. Um, tell me a little bit about the makeup yeah there well to start you know i think and i encourage all bands that are starting or further along in their career to be like really economical and like be smart about how many people you have in your band and all that shit um but i decided like i don't care like i'm gonna have i have these friends uh and i have these this instrumentation in mind and i don't care if there are nine people and it makes all these things difficult i really want to make sure that what I'm writing is what I want to write and it's not curtailed by, you know, worrying about how much money we're going to get paid on a gig after dividing it up 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, I can't that speak so on sad. behalf of the other guys, but, um, and I actually, I can, I, I think the fact that they've been so devoted, uh, and passionate to this project, uh, and involved when we haven't, you know, when you do divide something like that and you play as uh, often as we do or as unoften as we do um they're really committing to something and it's it's not about kind of being smart music business wise it's about creating a, some good music right absolutely um speaking of good music <laughs> next song on your list <laughs> yeah. really excited me ah. <laughs> well paul simon i love paul simon oh my god i mean graceland is just one of I the love, best albums i love of all that time. record i'd say like every six months I find myself just finding uh, his like uh, Central Park concert and just watching it all the way from beginning to end and I'm just like man I could never imagine playing to what is it like a quarter of a million people in Central Park for free just incredible yeah wow okay so tell me a little bit about where Paul Simon 
lies in your whole journey to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I really, I knew a couple of Paul Simon tunes like in, in high school and really liked it. And then in college, I just discovered like his whole catalog. Um, I like Simon Garfunkel, but in particular that record and uh, the work that he did um, with all the, the different instruments, um, really uh, something awesome. And I, I really like, in particular, Graceland. It's kind of a, a little different for him, <clears throat> if only because most of his, it sounds like such a, a strange thing to focus on, but the use of his, like a minor chord right in the top of the tune, um, he never he very rarely uses like minor chords or minor tonalities and it's just something it's really striking i think that graceland has like this really haunting quality to it um and even and just the recording is pretty sparse and it's just fantastic right interesting i never mm-hmm. would have i mean i've listened to that album probably you know mm-hmm. 50 times but yeah. i've never caught that it catches you off guard huh. and it's such a cool cool tune really um, cool yeah and as far as like the the structure of the song mm-hmm. as opposed to Mateus, mm-hmm. our first track that we heard, you know, it's a little more rock and roll or a little yeah. more typical yeah. pop song oriented. Yeah. So like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Exactly. So is that as far as Mateus, your band goes, mm-hmm. is that more of your? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we try to find or at least when I write, try to find um, ways to be creative within a, a given like form. Um, and that's something that I still tinker with every single time. Um, and I think if you listen to the, our EP, you can kind of hear a little bit of a progression. And the songs that we're working on right now for the record, really deconstructing and figuring out ways to to be um, maybe outside of the box with form, and in a way that maybe the listener doesn't isn't completely aware of. Because uh, I think form itself is something that, um, <clears throat> if it's executed right, no one really notices. You know, there's just a nice arc to a song, um, and I think it, there's a lot of um, flexibility when you're writing songs or compositions to to have have fun with form and I think one thing I'm not, I'm, doesn't really come across in in Graceland but what we try to do or I try to do is kind of create like a microcosm in the song like one little thing um, like for instance if there's a so- one of our songs is kind of like in five and then so I kind of use f- figures of five to shape the whole phrase of the whole form, if that makes sense. So it's like a little uh, element that goes across the whole whole length of the tune. Cool, really cool. All right, well, let's hear a little bit of uh, Paul Simon, Graceland. The Mississippi Delta was shining like a national guitar. I am following the river down the highway through the cradle of the Civil War. Awesome. There is nothing like that album. I I agree. We were talking during the break there about the choir that he recorded with. Tell me, do you know much about that? I, I don't know a whole lot about them uh, beyond their their work, uh, Lady Black Mombasso, but uh, I think it's really, um, I mean, he really helped define his sound by seeking out this group that 
to my knowledge, not really anyone had heard of. Um, and there's just such a, a sound quality. And he really used them. I mean, they weren't backup singers. They really defined that record. And I think they defined his sound and kind of informed everything that moved forward with him. And they're just such incredible uh, performers like uh, Diamonds on the Soles of Shoes, like that intro is just homeless. incredible. Homeless. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, it's so good. And that was just completely out of, I mean, no one had done that at that point. Yeah. Had used like the world music. World music, yeah, aspect. exactly. I mean, the Beatles a little bit, maybe mm-hmm. Tomorrow Never yeah, Knows. Shank- yeah, right. That, yeah. Um, but with, you know, the, that, the choirs on that is just, it's just so, it's powerful. Yeah. It really is. It is. Um, you know, and he, he definitely, I think he captured some some like genuine uh, West African music uh, qualities, um, but he also kind of shapes it so that it's still presentable and the or not I shouldn't say presentable, understandable and digestible for a pop audience. Right. Oh no, totally, absolutely. Um, and speaking of <laughs> choirs, <laughs> oh my god, Segway, Segway, <laughs> um, Volcano Choir yeah. you chose as your next mm-hmm. song. So let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah, well, um, I figure uh, if if I had chosen a song by Bon Iver, that would have been too much of like a, a meatball for for you to hit out of the park. Um, so I chose his kind of Justin Vernon from Bon Iver's uh, side project called Volcano Choir, um, and I think he really takes some of the kind of uh, you know '60s, '70s minimalist composers like Steve Reich um, and a little bit of Philip Glass, and he kind of puts them. Um, he put he puts it like pop forward minimalism, which is cool. I really like the the t- uh, the tones, uh, the timbres, and kind of like the harmonic qualities that he kind of extracts from some of the the minimalists. Totally. How many instruments are used on this that's, track? Do you know? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I think I mean I've seen performances of them like with like five or six people. Um, they use I know they do like a lot of like live processing stuff, which is something um, I think. Like Joe uh, Mewland in our band, he's brilliant and can do all that stuff. And I just never latched on to like electronic music, and so I've I've like wanted to kind of go in that direction, but I it's just not in me. And so I like try to get those sounds with acoustic instruments as as best I can. But I but to answer the question, I think he has like six people okay. in, in the band. No, that actually you tapped into a really cool thing that we should totally talk about. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and we can talk about that right now. Mm-hmm. So you, it, it, all of the sounds that you hear when you see you guys live, they're all coming out of the instruments Correct. right there. Correct. Um, so and the, Joe does some synthy stuff, but okay. for the most part, it's we're all acoustic instruments. And what, why? Um, I mean, uh, in, in essence, we're kind of like a, a chamber ensemble mm-hmm. or a small contemporary chamber ensemble. We have, you know, uh, that plus a rhythm section, like a standard pop rhythm section. So we have horns, um, well, two brass and a woodwind. Uh, Alex Blomars plays tenor, bass clarinet, Barry Alto, he plays everything. Um, and then we have two horn players. And then I play guitar, and then I've, then there's the, the rhythm section there. So the makeup is kind of a little bit of a warped chamber ensemble. 
cool. And do you write, you write personally? You write all for, of the lines? For the most part, yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, Alex and Joe have done some arrangements as well, some really great arrangements. Um, but for the most part, yeah. We, and I mean, we've, I've even handwritten scores because my computer was crashed. So Classic. <laughs> I actually hand, hand wrote uh, some parts. But yeah, we, we do all, all, all of that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Very cool. All right. Well, okay. Let's hear some Volcano Choir. The tune is called Bygone. Bygone. And it's by Volcano, Volcano Choir. Choir. Mm-hmm. Damn straight, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> Bygone mm-hmm. by Volcano Choir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we were talking in the break. I chose to use kind of like the section of the song where it all kind mm-hmm. of comes to a big swell. Um, because I remember when I've seen you guys play, there's a lot of that exciting kind yeah. of like, you know, building up, building up, and then a big mm-hmm. climax. Yeah, um, that's totally accurate, yeah. So what what is that? Um, I guess I, d- I, I would say... With all my music that I've written, whether it's um, you know symphonic or chamber works, um, I I just like make composing moments uh, and crafting like one big moment. And oftentimes it's and and I think it's one uh, criticism. If I was going to criticize my own EP, is that I never re- like really revisit those. So, but each tune on this EP has like a, maybe one or two really big arcs. Um, and I, I don't know, I just, I just like that payoff that you get, um, whether that's compositionally or as a listener. And I think he does that too, like in this, in this tune in, in Bygone, I mean, I, I don't know what the, what the actual time length, but it feels like almost two minutes until you get to the, the payoff. I had a cra- crazy professor, uh, shout out to Zach Browning, uh, who is obsessed with this concept of like golden ratios in songs. I completely disagree with him. Um, but I guess it's there, and that. Is What's a golden ratio? So you know how like, they use like the the golden ratio just in like architecture and like, f- and in f- nature. So ba- I, I, I'm too dumb to even remember what <laughs> what the actual ratio <laughs> is. But essentially, I mean, it's like two thirds. I'm I'm totally rounded. Um, okay. But you see it in you know nautilus shells and all right. this stuff. Oh yeah. Um, and so. But he had had these crazy ideas about, I shouldn't say crazy ideas. I mean, he's on faculty at the University of Illinois, or actually he's probably retired. Um, but it's this the concept that that is in music. Uh, his that examples out- were um, uh, <laughs> Phil Collins in the air tonight. And oh like, he, like he deconstructs <laughs> it and like goes with a fine tooth comb cool. through everything and like right. looks at all the seconds um and says all right well because of the length of the song like when the drums hit this is actually the golden ratio or like whoa yeah so it's i don't don't really buy it because music's linear uh so you can't see the whole form um like when you look at architecture or another person you can see the whole in music you can't see the whole until it's done so um but but in essence it's the same concept with our music um i'm not sitting there and like saying okay well this is (laughs) 1.24 bars um but yeah it's it's kind of building a payoff um and you know knowing when to kind of um get out of the way when it 
sounds right and musically it's uh it's the right choice to do something and then also knowing when to kind of uh let the form or this mechanism that you set up override that if that makes any sense no it definitely does (laughs) that's that's really cool um Transitioning into the mm. next song, yeah. Blake Mills, definitely more poppy yeah. than what we've heard yeah. so far. Um, let's talk a little bit about lyricism, mm-hmm. um, yeah. what your experience with is is with writing yeah. lyrics. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Well, I, th- I think my l- lyrics, um, whenever I write a lyric, I, I try to, and it's because I think my default is always to write these really corny, cliche things. So <laughs> in order to avoid that, I often write fairly abstract things and it usually what I'm writing uh is usually dictated by what I'm reading so um you know like I've been reading a bunch of old school classic literature like William Faulkner and and stuff like that um but with these tunes I was reading some kind of some contemporary poetry so like Philip Levine um who's incredible love him uh, i actually for yeah. poetry out loud oh, which is like a poetry yeah. reading contest i uh-huh. did a, fo- a uh, philip levine which poem. poem did you do detroit tomorrow oh my god oh i know like that stab can, like, me yeah in the heart. they're poems that can just like make you cry oh um, yeah and you don't even know why you're crying i know <laughs> there's it's just um really moving yeah and powerful stuff that's so, so cool so yeah. you've been reading more poetry yeah well, always... I've, I've always read a little bit of poetry i mean i always feel like i should be reading more um and lately i've been I think I've always been on a big Philip Levine kick uh, since I discovered. I think I stumbled on his stuff maybe when I was a junior or senior in college um, because David Lang, who's a really incredible composer, setting a lot of his his poetry. um, And it's just like, what is this? And I I think I got What Work Is, uh, which is one of his, I think it won the National Book Award or something like that. And I was just like, this is absolutely incredible. Um, He just has a way to kind of like turn a phrase on you and you didn't even realize that it, turn like the meaning just switched on you or that it was something light or something at surface level and then it's has all this really deep uh connotation and meaning so um yeah I've, I've been reading a lot of his his stuff and um and then also I've been reading some some words I, I also when I write lyrics I'm also really uh I try to be mindful of the actual sound uh and sometimes I'll let the sound override um or kind of the, the vowel sound or the consonant sound, let that kind of override the, the literal meaning. Um, so some, like, I think I invented a couple words in there, but I was like, it sounds nice. <laughs> like what? What kind of words uh, did you invent? Gospelry. I feel like that, it feels like it should be a word. Yeah, and for me, does. it like has a meaning in that, in that spot. Uh, and maybe writing um, kind of uh, ambiguous lyrics is a way to shield yourself also from the true meaning of that, of what the song could be about. Um, but I think that's kind of where, where poetry is, is great. Cause it's, you know, heightened, uh, there, you don't need a literal meaning and that's, that's what makes it so incredible. And that, so I try to strive for that in some of the, in some of the tunes that we're doing. Right. No, absolutely. Very, very cool. Mm-hmm. I love to hear about other people reading poetry because mm-hmm. I just, you know, I had, I lived with a musician in mm-hmm. college and, um, love him, but. I was in a poetry writing class at the time and I was obsessed with it. So I'd like read him, you know, some of the poetry mm-hmm. I wrote and, and he'd just be like, I, I just don't, oh. I just don't do poetry. Yeah. And I'm like, you play poetry, you yeah. sing poetry, exactly. you know, it's like everywhere. Um, but that's just a whole, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. I, I think, think it's just, I think sometimes poetry makes people uncomfortable too. Um, and not because they think it's like 
wimpy or something, but it's because if, if for the poetry that I, I really enjoy, that you're not no one's giving you what it means, and and especially if it's not like a narrative poem, um, you're left to kind of you're not even left to figure out what it means. It probably doesn't even have a meaning, and you have to be uh, comfortable with that. And I think some people aren't. And not trying to sound like an elitist here, but I just, I like that that there are these images, you know, that Philip Levine paints that have really no meaning but they're just so crystal clear and they're strange and they're unique and it's it's a really nice place that yeah. and, and powerful place that he can take you um okay so back to mm-hmm. good old blake yeah. let's talk about this next song we're gonna play yeah um so tell me about well he's just like um i think you know someone musicians are classical musicians or symphonic musicians or or don't that don't touch pop music uh, I also often fall into this category. We want to cast off like all of pop music and say, uh, "Blah, this this sucks. There's nothing there." And uh, I'm sure Blake Mills would probably say he's not a pop musician, or maybe he would. But he's just like a virtuosic guitarist, and he is really. I mean, if you listen to some of his records, like his focus on timbre and uh, color is just insane. Like, I mean, he's working with stuff that if you just stripped away kind of some of the 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 frame you'd see it on its face as being something really incredible and really uh virtuosic and and brilliant um so he's just a an incredible player and then his records also just have this really interesting uh unique sound and and also i love his his, not just like his actual lyricism but the way he delivers his lyrics and that's something that i really strive to do and try to get better because my inclination whenever I write is to write these beautiful soaring melodies um, and I can't sing them. So <laughs> I have to figure out how to be expressive um, within my own constraints. How would you explain his delivery? A soulful. I know that's such like a corny and uh, wishy-washy uh, word or description, but he just, it's just soulful. You know, you, you really feel that he means exactly what he's saying. Um, and... It's same with his guitar playing and and his records are just. I think he just did John. Le- he just produced John Lennon's record or not Lennon. <laughs> now <laughs> that would be say. something. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, John Legend. Uh, he just produced John Legend's record. Uh, he did like the last Alabama Shakes record. Okay. Um, so he's just a really, really brilliant guy. Um, I think he just used to be uh, like a session guitar player, and he kind of came out of the woodwork, and everyone's like this guy's insane he's got it yeah um so tell me about this song winter song yeah well i i love i again the timbre like the quality of his guitar this is his first record that he ever put out so it kind of has the the vibe of like a uh, a bedroom recording uh but it's just so well done and i'm i don't know what his recording process was so i'm just speculating uh it sounds like you know he just manipulated his guitar kind of in a lot of ways that uh justin vernon did for his first record from a forever ago um uh but it's just the recording quality is is awesome and i like the form like it's basically one song and then it's another song and it's just really awesome it's really awesome cool okay well let's have a little Mm -hmm. listen winter song by blake mills
That was Winter Song, a little clip for you by Blake Mills. Um, and right when I turned it on, I was like, his voice just has a similar kind of layer. Yeah. Like Sufjan Stevens. Mm-hmm, definitely. And also the melancholy feeling of some Elliot Smith. Yeah, so absolutely. I guess if we were going to go ahead and dissect his influences. Yeah. Um, but actually, speaking of Sufjan Stevens, really quick, I saw you guys cover Chicago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it was epic. Um, tell me a little bit about putting that well, together. I like <laughs> choosing a cover if you're in a band is depending on what kind of band you are. Uh, is such a, such a treacherous, you know, it's a it's a minefield. <laughs> and um, so there's so many things that we want to take into consideration. Uh, I think. For for me, if we ever if we do a cover, um, I usually like to do it verbatim, and I know a lot of people like to put their spin on it. Um, but for us, like if I, if I do a cover with this band, I want to want us to do it just exactly like the recording, um, and then trying. All right, now so now we're at that point. All right, let's find a a decently popular song that has like a vibraphone, horns, and like. <laughs> That'll narrow it down. <laughs> <laughs> so it narrowed it down. Um, and it's just like, it's a well-known song. I think I haven't heard other people do it. Um, and I hope it's not cliche. Like that's, that's the thing I try to avoid. Like it's such, it's again, it's a minefield because you know, one song that for me is a different, like I, I love um, this land is your land. I was like, we should do this song. Oh and everyone's like, absolutely not. Like, <laughs> but I, but I love it. Like, yeah. So again, it's like so hard to find, find the right one. And I think, like we've done it every single time we played and like we're just going to keep doing it like it's effective people know the words they can sing along and it doesn't sound like a kumbaya like bullshit um song right <laughs> you know? and you're in chicago yeah so. and you're in chicago it's it's awesome yeah and i love sufjan stevens and it's like <laughs> one of the best songs really ever it is <laughs> it's like it's it's so catchy and it's just a, yeah it I goes really so many think, places yeah yeah it really is one of the best songs ever yeah. and i'm not i'm not uh that's not hyperbole i think it just if we're going to boil down like a top hundred list of actual songs, I would I would probably put that on there. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's so talented. Yeah, he is. I love him. Okay, so last but not least, a uh, mm-hmm. special piece by Caroline Shaw. That's right. So tell me who she is and tell me about this yeah this piece well i kind of wanted to bookend <laughs> bookend the, the the podcast and kind of take a little little journey from bach at the beginning to a contemporary composer um and so in some ways it kind of embodies what we're doing except this piece and and she is absolutely brilliant so what, what it is is it's a piece for eight voices and so what you hear is just eight singers uh, and this is them doing it live which is just absolutely mind blowing when you hear it. So the the section that I chose to listen to is called the Allemande. So basically, uh, you know, it has a kind of a strict form from a classical music sense, and she kind of dissects that and uses that form as a jumping off point. And uh, it's just incredible. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what more to say other than it's uh, really incredible. And I think the reason why I chose it is it's palatable um, to a wider audience. Um, but also is really intelligent and just on its face sounds great. I think sometimes when the classical and contemporary music kind of has this baggage of not sounding good on its face, and this definitely does. 
very cool. Um, and you mentioned something about a Nobel Prize. Oh yeah, yeah. She, I think she won the Nobel Prize uh, for composition, or not the. I'm sorry, not. Oh my God, the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, they should. They should do a Nobel, Nobel Prize for, for, for music. Yes, uh, we can start that. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, no, she won the. I think I did tell you this Nobel Prize, but she won the Pulitzer <laughs> Prize uh, for for this composition. She was like 32. Um, Amazing. Incredible. Yeah. So cool. Okay. Well, let's have a listen. So this is the Allemande. Mm -hmm. What's the full piece called? Partita for Eight Voices. Partita for Eight Voices. Caroline Shaw. Two, three, four, and five, six, seven, eight. Through the midpoint. Two, of the line three, drawn from the left side. Six, six, Alamanda, and around That is something. It's pretty, it's just like virtuosic composition. Yeah. How does one even write that down? I don't know. You'd have to ask her because right? I, I can't do it. And there's no instrumentation there, just no, the voices. Just the voices. Wow. So not only is the composition incredible, but that group, I think their room full of room full of teeth uh, is any of the, like the, the choir. They're insane. Like it's just absolutely mind blowing how talented they are. And how much work that they've put in to be able to just execute that and do it live. <laughs> right. And so it's the eight people. Mm-hmm. And you have eight people oh, yeah. in your band. That's right. Whoa. That's right. That's kind of cool. Maybe yeah. that's the magic number. Yeah, we're working on this uh, version of this right now. That's really? our next cover. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I think people will sing along with it just like Chicago <laughs> by Stephen Yeah, Jones exactly. <laughs> we'll hand out music at the show. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, but, Yeah. I mean, like, there's something about having more, like, a, a bigger presence on the stage. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about your live shows. Yeah. Um, and what, how, you have just had a couple, or? We've had quite a few. Quite a few. Um, you know, we, we, we do limited stuff. Uh, it helps that you know, our drummer lives in Minneapolis, so we kind of have worked on getting a, a little bit of a, a following up there. Um, but we, we basically toured in the Midwest, uh, we toured down in Asheville. We're going to New York in, in October, so we're playing at Baby's All Right in nice. October. So that should be fun. Um, all the results of some crazy Father John Misty tweeting our stuff. Yeah, it was crazy. Tell me about that. <laughs> um, well, you have do you follow him on, on Twitter at all? No, but well, I love him. He's like a crazy person. Yeah. Oh, he is crazy. Oh, yeah, he's insane. Um, <laughs> so In the he, best way. Yeah, he was just tweeting like, well, actually, so I had mentioned, I didn't actually didn't like Twitter mention him. I had like quoted him and then just said Father John Misty. I can't remember what the quote was. And he randomly responds. Because he probably has Google, yeah. what is it, like yeah. alerts for yeah. his name. Well, I've read interviews where he says he, he literally goes through and just sees what people are saying about him and he'll like randomly oh respond. God. So I said something like, because he's, my thing was very, uh, I wouldn't call it witty. Uh, you can make that judgment call. <laughs> I, like, very ironic and tongue in cheek. And so he responded with something 10 times more tongue in cheek. So I responded with something about our band and then uh, he he like tweeted it out to all of his followers, and I think he was genuine. Um, and he said it was gorgeous. It, maybe I should use. Maybe we should do that song. Damn, um, that's yeah, it was so crazy. Cool. So then, yeah, we had a bunch of people hit us up, and so we're going to New York as a result. So thank you, Father John Misty. Um, P.S. Father John Misty, if you're listening, uh, you said that we could open up for you at the Chicago <laughs> Theater. I haven't heard from you yet, so um, what's the deal? Let's start a campaign there. <laughs> no. Wow. Um, 
I mean, yeah, talk about, he's just, his songwriting is yeah. just amazing. Yeah, I've, from what I've heard of the his newest record, I think he's really kind of like refined some stuff. Yeah. Um, I hope you get to play it. <laughs> we won't. Let's make that happen. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but it was, it, was, it was pretty but funny. But you got a gig in New York from it, so yeah, hey, yeah, we'll take cool. it. Yeah, I'll, we'll definitely take it. Um, okay, so let's talk about this song that you want to showcase. Yeah. Um, tell me where it came from. What The first day that you started writing about it, Like, what was that like? Actually, kind of wrapping this up in a nice bow, um, I probably had that tune to the years, at least the idea of it, the idea of a song and like kind of an, a weird meter. Um, and in particular, like this one lyric that I have in there um, in my mind since like 2012. Um, so I, I just never was able to flesh it out. And um, I just... Like it was like one 10 second thing. And I'm like, I want to finish this up. And so this kind of gave me an excuse. So just the little idea of it being in seven, which is kind of an odd meter. It's it's one less than you need to make it nice and normal. Right. Um, so it feels a little. Can you count a measure of seven for me? You just say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Or you can, you subdivide it like one, two, one, two, one, two, three. One two one two one two three one two one two go. one two three. Mm-hmm. Nice. And that that's it. There's some um, Sufjan Stevens stuff there in seven. <laughs> um, but I, we try and hide it a little bit. Um, so we have a marimba and a piano. So kind of this is kind of stealing a, a, a sound from Steve Reich and kind of all those minimalist. Love um, it. So it's marimba and piano, and they're basically playing. So if you can imagine, if you're like right, left, right, left, like your right hand, your left mm-hmm. hand. And if you do it on seven, every time you come back to one, you're going to be on your right hand, then your left hand, right on the ones, if that makes sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then cool. so we have the vibe or the the marimba and the piano start in opposite hands. So essentially, it sounds like they're playing the same. It sounds like it's just straight, if that makes uh-huh. sense. But they're actually going opposite. Cool. Yeah. So it's it. So the first idea there is just I want a kind of a unique sound. Mm-hmm. At, right at the top and it also kind of disguises that it's in this weird weird time signature because I think the whole the whole th- point of these songs is to be cr- be creative and think outside the box in a way that isn't like oh he's doing that because he wants to do this weird musical thing I want it to serve like the bigger uh, idea or the lyric and, and all that that stuff so um yeah kind of the marimba and the piano sound that timbre is kind of the jumping off point for for the tune so where did the lyrics come from on this one um well these lyrics are actually like the most simple of all of all the lyrics in that they kind of repeat quite a bit and there's not much there because I kind of get out of the way for the other things, the instruments and tamers to take over. Um, but they're kind of like a rumination or a jumping off point on T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. Or like I was reading it a lot and I was just kind of thinking about death and all that that wonderful, uplifting stuff. Um, so that's, without telling you where what it means, that's, that's where they kind of came from or the headspace I was in and what I was reading when I wrote those. Cool. And so your songwriting process here, did you write it on using piano or? This one was actually kind of like a guitar lick that okay. I had come up with. And it, it wasn't even a lick. It was just kind of this pattern in seven. Um, and actually that pattern is not at all in any of these recordings. Um, so Funny how that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, it served its purpose. It did. It did. Got you to where you needed to be. Exactly. Exactly. Um, very cool. And then, and then rehearsing wise, so mm-hmm. you, do you write it all up and send it to everybody? Yes. And say yeah. rehearse this, and then we'll come together. Yeah, pretty much, especially at the beginning. Right. Um, you know, everything was even though we weren't ever rehearsing. You know, all these dudes are incredible musicians. Um, so we would just make sure there was music. There was like a recording, even if it was just a scratch demo that I did in my apartment. Um, so that way, at least we knew what we were working with, and it wasn't completely um, foreign. But yeah, no, we had we had music because this stuff, it it's not like sit in and uh, figure it out, jam so, it out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. All right, cool. So tell me the title. It's called "To the Years." To the Years. Mm-hmm. And anything to say about that title, or uh, was it just part of the lyrics? It's part of the lyrics. I mean, it's kind of it's. Maybe I wouldn't even call it a criticism, but it's kind of like, you know, I I was at the time was in college and I was just seeing all this stuff. I feel like it was the time YOLO came out, um, but like all these people like we're going to party and die young. And I was like, that's dumb. Like, that's so stupid. I don't want to do that. I want a, a nice life. And um, so it kind of, we're leaving death to the ears, I guess. So that's what that, that that's what that means. Perfect. So without that's, any further. Oh, no. Oh, good. You got it. <laughs> All right. Do you want to introduce the song then? No, you got it. You okay. Got it. Without any further ado, to the years from Mateus.
Ben, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's been a true pleasure. First one. Right? One in the book. So, I mean, when you're really it's all up from here. rich and famous, <laughs> you can be like, you know. I think it might go the other way around. <laughs> I don't know about that. When you're when you're the next Mark Maron, um, <laughs> you can bring me into your garage and Sounds good. <laughs> Goals. Um, so tell me really quick where people can find you, either shows or Instagram, yeah. social media, yeah. what have you, where can we find your music? Go ahead. Yeah, well, as I had mentioned at the beginning, like we decided to not be a very smart band economically, and also by choosing the weird name and having a German umlaut in our name, it's it's hard to find us on, online. So uh, if you just Google Mateus, you're probably not going to find us. So our, our URL is San Mateus. And spell um, Mateus. Can, yeah, M-A-T-T-H-A-U-S. And you have a record release That's show right. at the end of May. Mm-hmm. Let's hear about that for a second. Yeah, well, it's a triple, triple threat. It's like gonna be. It's gonna be crazy. Cool. Yeah. For a Wednesday, I think uh, it's already looking like it's gonna be pretty, pretty packed. So Dan Durley is playing. He's doing his record release. Also Tara, Tara, and then we're releasing our record. So it was just like a perfect storm of friends that were releasing their records. Champagne musicians. Champagne musicians. It's gonna be <laughs> like uh, all up like the CU. Can be like Canopy Club. Oh my God. Two point oh. Three point oh. Yeah, I hope it's a lot better than. That. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I played at the Canopy Club for a long time, so I should. It's a good disrespect. place to start out. Um, you can only go up from the campus. <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's May 31st. It's a Wednesday. Uh, we're starting a little earlier, and three bands were releasing our record. I think you can pre-order ours on the 26th. We're really proud of it. I, I really like the way it came out. We did it at a Steve Shirk studio, who really helped kind of guide this project. And um, yeah, we're, we're really stoked. It's coming out on uh, Ears and Eyes Records, so it's a small, like, Indie, he mainly they mainly do like jazz, uh, weird avant-garde jazz, and he was into our stuff. So, um, yeah, we're really excited about it. The EP is called Effigy. Congratulations! Thank you. I'm really excited <laughs> for that show. Yeah, and uh, I'll see you there. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Lease FM.